Hi, I'm Richard Walpert, CEO and co-founder of Hello Tech, and these are our mission and values. This is a podcast about startups, the why behind their work, and how behind their decisions. I'm your host, Ryan Landers. Now, the best company cultures keep moving and growing, so the details you're going to hear today are just a snapshot of where the company is. Today, I'm talking to Richard Walpert, the CEO and co-founder of Hello Tech. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us what is Hello Tech? Hello Tech is uh, a service that provides in-home, on-demand technical support. So you don't have to bring your machine to Best Buy or to the Apple Store. You don't have to wait days to have somebody come out. You can go on Hello Tech right now and say, I want somebody at my house today at four to fix my Wi-Fi, to install my printer, to uh, fix my virus. And they will be there at that exact time to perform that service at a very fair cost. And for context on the size and scale of your culture, uh, can you tell me roughly how many employees and locations do you have? Yeah, so we we have sort of two classes, if you will, of staff. So we have full-time employees, um, and they run the core of the company operations. But then we have our technicians. In terms of your question, we have about 25 uh, employees at the company. But then in terms of our uh, our technicians in the field, we're currently live in Southern California from the Thousand Oaks area down through Orange County, all the way down to San Diego. And we have about 80, 85 part-time technicians that are college students that perform the on-demand service. Before we dive into talking more about your company culture and the values you share, I want to learn more about the mission of Hello Tech. What is the purpose you and your team work towards each day? Our mission is to be the best possible service provider for in-home technology support. And that is the broad mission. Internet technology in the home is becoming almost like a standard utility of power and water. And, you know, when when your Wi-Fi goes down or your internet connection goes down or your laptop's not working... You're, you're just as stuck as if your water was shut off or your power was shut off. That's true. I find it's embarrassingly crippling. It is. So we just felt there should be a service that could help you when those problems arise in a super high quality, super timely fashion. And that was really the original mission and vision for Hello Tech. You've had an amazing career. Um, can you tell me more about your background and, and why you decided to start Hello Tech? I've been in the technology industry now for over 30 years, and uh, this is my fourth startup. Uh, all three previous startups had successful exits. Wow, impressive. Thank you. Thank you. In addition to startups, I, I had uh, jobs at Apple. Um, I had a job at Disney. I was president of Disney Online for about three years back in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s. But the last seven years leading up to Hello Tech, so uh, calendar years, sort of 2007 through 2014, the focus of my career was as an investor. So I was a pretty active angel investor. I've invested in over 50 companies um, just on a personal basis. I was a venture partner for XL Partners, which is one of the top 
you know, in my opinion, top couple uh, VC firms in the world. Uh, and then I was one of the co-founders going back to sort of mid-2010 of a startup accelerator here in L.A. called Amplify L.A. So I, I spent about seven years really focused just as an investor. But by early to mid-2014, I'd got that itch again to want to operate something, to want to build a team and build a product and build a business. So I reached out to uh, Mina O oh and Sasha Lin, my two co-founders, in probably the early summer of 2014 and said, hey, I'm at a point where I'm looking to start something again. And uh, where are you guys sort of in your career? And it just sort of uh, was organically good timing for all of us. Uh, Mina had been running a digital agency uh, for about five years and was having some of the same frustrations of when you're a consultant and you're advising a company on what to do, it's not nearly the same as when you're one of the senior executives of that company and you can have a lot of impact on exactly what happens. And Sasha was at a similar place. So we got together and what we decided we would do is actually meet once a week for dinner on Sundays and see if we could come up with something that we thought was a good enough opportunity that we had the right background and skill set for that we should move forward. How long did it take to find the right idea and how did you all find it? We did that for probably about two months uh, uh, in the formation of HelloTech. And the first month or six weeks, we had a bunch of different ideas that uh, were not good <laughs> um, that we decided not to pursue. And you know, the idea for HelloTech uh, happened very almost serendipitously, which was at one of the dinners, um, my co-founder and CTO, Sasha, we we sat down to dinner and he said, hey, guys, I apologize. I want to let you know in advance. I have to cut out a little bit early tonight because my mom, who lives in Kentucky, bought up a new printer earlier today. <laughs> and it's a wireless printer like all printers are now. Oh, no, that's trouble. And she was able to hook it up to her Mac, but she really wants to print from her iPad and her iPhone, and she has no idea how to do it. So I'm happy to be here and have the dinner, but you know, her she's two hours ahead, so I can't stay too late. <laughs> I'll need to cut out a little bit early to call her up and sort of walk her through setting that up. That's funny. And uh, my other co-founder, Mina, who's our chief product officer, laughed and said, you know, I spent two hours today at my neighbor's house getting their Wi-Fi set. Oh, no. And we all sort of, that was sort of when the initial spark or light bulb went off. That's really exciting. Have you continued with those weekly dinners? Uh, so we don't have an official dinner that we do on Sundays anymore, but we're, we work out of the same office five, six days a week, and we're talking all the time. And we're obviously on tools like Slack where we're in constant communication. Mm -hmm. How has it been for you um, this time around building Hello Tech as someone so experienced? Uh, it's been interesting. You know, the, uh, the, what it takes to do a startup has continually changed throughout my 30-year career. I found that you can't, just because you did things a certain way last time does not mean that doing things that way this time makes sense. And there's some obvious ones, right? If I go back to, you know, even 10 or 12 years ago, that was before Amazon Web Services and all of these companies like TalkDesk and Twilio and... Mm -hmm all these tools that you can buy for what I would consider almost no money. I mean, the cost to 
get a technical infrastructure and tools and core foundation of technology is a fraction of what it was a decade ago, or especially a couple decades ago. I remember a a company I did called Checkout.com, and we invested $5 million in Sun servers and Oracle databases and all these sorts of things that you now can get literally for thousands of dollars. So That's incredible. Yeah. So the, the, the speed at which you can get a product and a set of technology off the ground and you know, is, is significantly faster than it was a decade ago. You know, the things that are more consistent uh, that haven't changed as much are, you know, how do you find good talent and how do you build the culture and how do you get a team all motivated around a certain vision and mission? So th- those types of things have not changed that dramatically in the last 20, 30 years. So uh, it's been very interesting. I'm really glad I did it. I, I find myself, even though I had been a an investor only for that seven years from 2007 to 2014, that this is more my natural state. That meaning just being a person, building a team, focusing on product, focusing on satisfying a certain customer base and picking out a way to solve that, you know, solve that problem for that customer and deliver a good solution. So, you know, I found that even though I've done it before, it's always a new experience and there's always stuff to learn and there's always new and better ways to do what you've done in the past. So it's been good. Has anything changed in your mission since you started? Has it, or has anything been surprisingly challenging about fulfilling it? Interesting question. So nothing's really changed about the mission, which is a good thing. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with companies pivoting. It happens all the time. And uh, as I said, I was a venture partner at Excel, and Excel invested in a company six, seven, eight years ago called TinySpec, which was a game company. And uh, that didn't work out. And it pivoted into Slack, which now has a multi-billion dollar valuation. So definitely one of the better pivots. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with pivoting, but our, our vision really hasn't changed that much. The Probably the, the thing that's been a bit more challenging than I would have guessed, and we have figured it out. It's taken us about a year to figure it out because we went live May of 2015 with our service is just what, what are the best ways to find people who currently have that need, that, that desire or that problem where their Wi-Fi is not working or their printer just couldn't get set up or their TV is not connecting to Netflix. It's been more tricky and required more skill to build out the marketing to cost effectively find and acquire that customer than I would have guessed when we very first started the company. It seems like almost everyone would need some help, you know? But, well, that, that's why it's been a, uh, harder than I thought. If you go to anybody who has you know, laptops and desktops and maybe an iPad or an Android tablet and an internet-connected television, there's probably something wrong somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is it, is it wrong enough that it's annoying enough that they're looking to hire somebody to come into their home and fix it? And, uh, there's certain things that definitely put people over the edge, right? If they have a virus or malware or their machines running horrible, horribly slow or that wireless printer they just bought so that they could print from any machine in their house isn't working. That's a huge motivation for getting somebody out and fixing that right away. But 
Sometimes there's things that are just more annoyances, like, you know, the way your remote controls are working is kind of a complicated mess. And if somebody could fix that for you, that'd be great. But it's not something that's stopping you from watching television per se. Got it. It's like the vitamin versus the the painkiller problem. Exactly. What would be a concrete example of a decision that you and your team have made that supports your mission? Part of our mission is that we thought that we would have two primary customers. And I guess that's a little bit of an oxymoron to say two primary, but (laughs) two targets. Yeah, two primary targets. So one is the 50 and older. The other was we're politically correctly calling the head of household, which uh, I'm not embarrassed to just say is in most cases, the mother. Mm -hmm. We have a, what I would consider to be, you know, a fairly sophisticated website. And we thought when we were launching the business that this was a great website and people would use it as the primary way to request service in the home. We also pretty prominently on our website put an 800 number, an 888 number, and said, you know, you can either click here to get started, which would take you through that, you know, click on five or six little things and tell us about your problem. Or if you prefer, you could pick up the phone and call us. And what we found in that 50 and older category is the majority of those people do not want to schedule via a website or, or a mobile app. They, they want to call and they want to talk to somebody and they want to feel confident about giving you their credit card. Right. We have embraced the fact that these people want to call and we're not trying to force or coerce or overly push them into scheduling online. Mm-hmm. We have even more prominently at the very top of our web page put the 800 number even though, frankly, that's a higher cost to us because it means we have customer service people on the phone that have to be manning the phones from what we currently provide service for, which is 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And we've now spent a lot of time focusing on how to most efficiently, once somebody calls, take their information and find out what's wrong and get them scheduled. Can you tell me more about why you decided college students would be the best technicians and And what makes them motivated to work at Hello Tech? We had this epiphany about a year and a half ago that for a business like ours that's providing uh, on-demand tech support, college students would make just an awesome workforce for many, many reasons. They've, They've grown up with the internet their entire life. They understand mobile devices and tablets and social media and all these sorts of things in a way that somebody, frankly, my age, I'm 53, and I am in the space, but for the average 53-year-old or 60-year-old, they're just not going to understand it or be able to fix or set up their stuff at the same level or quality of, uh, of desired uh, service. So we pay them $25 an hour, which is two to two and a half X what they would make in most campus or close to off-campus jobs. They control their schedule 100%. So that means, you know, the first week of March, they can choose to not work at all. Maybe they have finals. Maybe they are busy with friends. Maybe they just don't feel like working. And then the second week of March, they're possibly on spring break and they want to work a lot. They can work 10 to 15 hours. So they would have this 
ultimate flexibility to decide when and how much they were willing to work. And our college student technicians are looking to earn some extra money to be able to buy books or go to sporting events or go to concerts. So we just thought it was a really, really good fit because they would earn, you know, not enough to support a family, but enough to make a difference to them. How do you qualify and onboard new technicians? We've organized the company in a way to ensure that we are achieving our goals, which is super high customer satisfaction. So we have built over the last year a fairly comprehensive process for onboarding those techs in a way that lets us know that A, they're sincere about wanting to do this work, B, they're qualified to do this work, and C, they're uh, able to communicate in a non-sort of overly techie way when they're at the customer's home and able to perform the service and also make the customer feel good about the work that was done. So That's a pretty tall order too, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, so people apply. The very, very first thing we do is we set up a either in-person or phone or Skype interview, which lasts about a half an hour. And that's to just get a sense for the person's background and skill set and why they're interested in doing this work and how many hours a week do they think they might devote to doing this work? And, you know, there's just something about that interaction that you have to have to get a sense for a person. And if that goes well, we invite them into our online onboarding system, which has a series of 15 different tests that they have to pass. Wow. And they have to go through and pass all those tests before they can get to the next stage. So, and that works really well for us on a couple levels. One is from a skill set qualifying the technician, but also just from an intent perspective. If they're not willing to go through the 15 tests, then they're not that genuinely interested in doing the work. So it right. it weeds out some of the people who aren't really serious about doing the work. Got it. And then if they get through the 15 tests, we run a very thorough background check. So full criminal, full DMV, national criminal, local county criminal, sex offender. Uh, we run all of those checks. And obviously, if anything comes up, then they just are disqualified. But assuming that goes well, we then um, will allow them to go on a job that is shadowed. So we don't just let them loose to the world. Mm -hmm. We have them joined by one of our more senior technicians who's already been in the field for a long time and has great reviews. And that guy goes on the job with the new hero. And then at the end of that job reports back to us and says, hey, that guy was awesome. So he's good to do jobs on his own or that guy was good, but I think I could help him a little bit more. So let's shadow him one or two more times mm. or very infrequently, but does happen. That guy technically knew what he was doing, but he did such a poor job communicating to the customer. He might not be the kind of ambassador you want representing your brand. What's the story behind the name of the company? Where did it come from? Uh, yeah, we spent a fair amount of time on it. Uh, it took us probably two or three months to come up with the name Hello Tech. Uh, it it kind of seems obvious, obviously, once you have the name. And um, the code name for the company for the first five, six months was 
Big Monday, which was just sort of a random name that we picked uh, <laughs> that didn't really mean anything. Uh, but we had this Google Doc that we shared where everybody could add, hey, here's an idea, here's an idea. And uh, at one point, we, we thought we were getting pretty close. And we had the idea for high tech, like HI tech. But we felt that was a little bit still too techy. And then um, I was on a plane on the way to CES, and I sat down next to a friend of mine uh, who's the president of Fandango, who I've known for like 20-something years. We worked together at Disney. And I told him, I said, yeah, one of the names we're seriously considering is high tech. And he looked at me and said, high tech's not nearly as good as hello tech. The light bulb went off, and it was like, yeah, that really works. And we were able to buy it for you know very, very low amount of money, just a couple thousand bucks, which is also a great thing. The technicians, you mentioned you call them heroes. Yes. How did you come up with that moniker? In terms of the heroes, uh, similar exercise. We went through all kinds of different names. Um, uh, Geek Squad calls their people agents. Uh, we didn't like that and obviously didn't want to do the same thing. At one point, we were pretty close with the word ace, but we felt like that was a little bit too slick. So again, we had one of these Google Docs and we went back and forth. And eventually, we got to the point where we just needed to pull the trigger on something and we took a team vote and the one that people liked the most was hero because we felt like these are people that are showing up and solving something that for you was really, really difficult for them was fairly trivial, hopefully. And it made a difference in your life. So that was how we came up with it. Why did you choose West Los Angeles as the, the headquarters from which to start the company? Well, some of that on a, on a broad scale is just, you know, all of the founders are in Los Angeles and have been for a long time. So Los Angeles made sense. Um, in terms of West Los Angeles, it's in effect a very, very central location for hiring talent from all over the greater Los Angeles area. So uh, just to prove how much I believe that, I personally live out in Westlake Village. My commute is about an hour each way. So. Mm. You know, in a fantasy world, I would have opened this company in Westlake Village, but that's not central and you're not going to get a lot of talent to want to commute to Westlake Village. Even though people want to live there, there's not a lot of technical companies that are based there. So, Yeah. For the team working there at HQ day to day, is there any kind of shared characteristic they have or something that makes them a good cultural fit? Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is sort of standard startup stuff, right? So... People need to know that this is going to be more work and in some cases more stressful and in terms of number of hours, probably a greater number of hours of work per week than your standard corporate job. So, you know, being at a startup is not a 40 hour per week job. If it's a good startup, it's not a 40 hour per week job. It's probably a, you know, 50 to 60 hour per week job. And people need to be willing to and understand that this is a startup and you need to do what it takes to achieve the goals on the time frame that is reasonable, that the team has all agreed to as something that they're working towards. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the nice things about today versus, you know, my first company, which was started in 1987, is people can work from home. Um, in off hours, right? So just because you have to work 50, 60 hours a week does not mean you have to be in the office necessarily 50, 60 hours a week. So right. um, th the other is, and this is an important one from a startup culture perspective that 
I feel is a big problem up in Northern California, not as big of a problem in Southern California, but still a problem at startups. Sometimes people who are not really experienced at having worked at a startup have an unrealistic expectation of just how fast things will go and how quickly they'll make a lot of money. Mm, right. So there's stories every day about companies, less so, frankly, in the last three to six months. But mm. for the most part, there's stories every day about company was just bought for $40 million, your company was just bought for $100 million. You know, if you look at most companies, and, and I know this as an investor as well, and also as a venture partner at Amplify and Excel, most companies, it takes seven to 10 years to get to that exit. It's not a 12-month run. It just it takes a lot longer than is generally advertised. And if you're just reading the headlines about company A, B, and C was acquired, you're not necessarily delving into you know, how many iterations of the business model did they go through and how long did it take and what was the commitment that was required to get to that point. So I try and make sure when people join HelloTech, they understand that this is a multi-year plus effort. We're going after a $20 billion industry, and it would be great to get 10% of that industry, but that does not happen overnight. It does not happen in a year or two. So you want people who are excited about the sort of fast pace and uh, roller coaster ride, if you will, that they'll get out of a startup, but you want them to also be realistic that it's a, a fairly long-term commitment and that they're they're not looking for a job for 12 months and out. And that is a problem that's happening in the Bay Area right now with companies. There's there's sort of a, you know, especially with millennials, I'll pick mm -hmm. on millennials for a minute. Sure. There's this perspective that, hey, I'm 24 years old and I'm going to get a job at a startup and within a year I'm going to be a multimillionaire. Mm -hmm. But I think that's creating some challenges up north because you get a lot of turnover. You get people who have been at a company for 18 months and they haven't had an exit and they start to get worried and they, they're looking for the next thing and they jump ship. So those are some of the things that we look at when we're hiring. What are some metrics that you track internally that, that have an impact on team morale as you're going through this you know, longer, longer period of getting to success? We track our net promoter score we have for months. Uh, it's currently 65, which is, I would say, very good. It, it could be better. Um, you know, the very, very best companies in the world have net promoter scores in the 80s. So for a company that's only been around for a year and a half, I feel like we're doing pretty well. We, we share that with the entire company on a monthly basis. And we talk about, did it get better? Did it get worse? Uh, how can we improve it? Uh, we look extremely closely uh, at the ratings for all of our jobs. Uh, if you rate the technician three or less, it actually triggers something in our systems to have one of our customer service people call the customer and find out why they ranked the customer, the, the technician a three or less. That's great. Follow up. Yeah. So we're super on top of the customer satisfaction and rankings. And if we get a tech who gets a couple of threes, then we boot them out of the system. Again, we, we try and understand why and what happened, because sometimes you get customers who have unrealistic expectations as well. So we're trying to 
be fair to our technicians, which is why we place a call. But we share with the company as a whole what our overall ratings are uh, for jobs served. Um, and then obviously things I can't share with you, the details, but what is our month over month growth for uh, number of appointments that we service that month? And how did we do on a marketing basis in terms of what was our cost to acquire a customer? And what is our repeat visit rate? So what percentage of our customers on a monthly basis were not new customers, but customers who had previously visited us who are now coming back for a second, a third, a fourth time. So, and, and one of the things that gets to the uh, culture question that I know is a sort of the overarching topic of this conversation is we have a very, very open and transparent culture when it comes to sharing that information with the staff as a whole. Hmm, yeah, it sounded like that. We have an executive meeting on a weekly basis, but we have a monthly hands-on meeting, all-hands all meeting, and it's typically about an hour long, and people submit questions that they want answered in advance over email, so I know sort of, in addition to what I think should be shared with the company, what questions are being asked, and all of the things that we've talked about are shared in that meeting. We've also uh, tried to foster a culture where people feel comfortable asking any question at all. So in every single company meeting, I remind people that any question is allowed either in the company meeting or directly to me as the CEO after the company meeting, if for some reason they're not comfortable asking it in the open forum. So that's great. That's one of the things I think people appreciate. They, they, they understand all of the key metrics that are important for the business and they get an update every month on how we're doing on those. And they understand, you know, when we pause for a second on a certain growth expansion because we want to fix a particular facet of the business, they understand why and they understand what the goal is. And I just think it's a, a great a great skill and something I would recommend other companies do if they don't do to make everybody truly feel like part of the company, not just part of the engineering group or part of the customer service group or part of the marketing group. So I saw in the promo video on, on your website, there was a customer getting a Nest thermostat, smart thermostat installed. So, you know, with smart homes kind of becoming like more of a reality now and Internet of Things, um, lots more devices being launched. Have you seen customers have a need for that? And what effect do those new technologies have on your job at Hello Tech? Yeah, it's a great question. And it goes back to one of the things about the original idea and vision and mission behind Hello Tech that I didn't. Yeah, cover. So one of the things that we recognize when we had the idea for Hello Tech is that if the problem you're having is with your PC or with your Mac, there's actually decent companies out there that can do phone support. And they can not only talk to you on the phone, but they can use a tool like LogMeIn or TeamViewer, and they can dial into your machine and take control of your machine and help you fix a problem. But one of the things we thought would happen in the next five years, going back to uh, forming HelloTech a year and a half ago, was there would be more and more internet-connected devices in the home that would not be able to be supported over the phone. Hmm. So you cannot help somebody install a Nest over the phone. You cannot help somebody set up the Wi-Fi connection for their Ring video doorbell over the phone. Right. For us, it's a, it, it, it's a big boon for what we are going to be doing over the next 
few years because, again, it just increases the number of internet devices that you have in the home, which is going to increase the number of complexities that might be able to happen and the desire people will have to get some help installing these types of Internet of Things products, we theorized was going to and is already increasing the need for in-home support. So in September of 2015, last year, you raised more funding, and it sounds like things are they're kind of clicking and it's starting to work really well in your current locations. Um, what can you share about your plans for what's next? We raised our, our seed round in two tranches in November of 2014 and February of 2015. And then we raised a large Series A of $12.5 million in September. And the plan for that money was for expansion. The good news is it was not to build out the system or build out the technology or build out the mobile app. That stuff had either already been done or was close to being done. But a lot of research that I did and looking at a lot of other companies that are in the on-demand space who have expanded into other cities, there was a pretty common theme that I heard, which was don't expand into multiple cities until you're 100% satisfied with your business, the way it's operating in your initial launch cities, which means the way you recruit talent and the cost to acquire customers and your ability to service customers at the quality of level that you desire. So while we raised the money in September, we didn't want to expand into numerous other cities until we got what's sometimes called the product market fit, uh, what's sometimes called the product marketing fit. Hmm. But we focused on all of that since September. Uh, we have had sort of near geography expansion. So we were live in all of LA as of August. We added Orange County in November. And then we actually just next week are launching San Diego. But what I will tell you is in um, by early Q3, we will launch several more cities, but I can't say yet. Uh, but they're coming. But they're coming. Yep. That's pretty exciting. Thank you so much for joining me today, Richard. Um, on behalf of people whose family and friends pester them for free tech support, thank you. Um, stand by for referrals. And I think we can expect great things from Hello Tech with, with the leadership team there and what sounds like a very impressive team that you're growing as you roll out to more locations. So where can people who want to follow along with your mission uh, find out more? You can find out everything about us, obviously, at hellotech.com. Uh, in addition to... Should you want an appointment or schedule an appointment for your parents, which we do have the ability for you to do, we do have a blog that uh, we're getting more and more aggressive with. Uh, so we're, we're trying to be helpful to people even when they don't need that in-home support call, but just helping them to get educated on new technology products that are coming out uh, and things that they may be interested. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Richard. All right. Thank you, Brian. You can find show notes at missionandvalues.co. The theme song is by Shane Ensley. Please leave a rating and review on iTunes if you enjoyed the show so more people can find out about it. Thanks for listening to Mission and Values.